Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When we left off last week, Heidi and the team had just had a breakthrough. Serving US spies had told them they were onto something big. That there was intelligence linking 14 deaths that they had identified to either the Russian Mafia or the Russian state. 14 cases of people who had died in awful circumstances. Impaled on iron railings. Stabbed all over their bodies. Hanged in their own bathrooms. There was something incredibly sinister going on. The team had been working for months on the project, meticulously digging through data. But in early 2017, they started to ramp up their reporting, fanning out to interview scores of people. And it was then that strange things started to happen. One night, after a long day in the office, Heidi was heading home to her London house when a parked car on her street caught her eye. A man in a large black car appeared outside my house. Nothing that unusual there. And perhaps her nerves were just on edge from picking through the gory details of horrible cases. But then the next night, heading home again, there he was. And then again the next night. And he was there every single night, almost all night, um, just for weeks on end. And when... One of my neighbours approached him after I'd said that this was freaking me out a bit. He made some quite bizarre comments about how he was there to monitor someone and he was there just to watch the houses in case anything happened. Um, and so that felt potentially a little bit threatening. But that wasn't all. Other people in the team were noticing strange things too. And we also had another member of the team return home to find that items had been moved around inside their home. Um, and a couple of occasions where it appeared that people might be being followed. The BuzzFeed security team got to work. We have an amazing security team here. Um, our security um, uh, consultant, Elliot, is brilliant at this stuff. And so he had us all install panic buttons and trackers on our phones, and several of us had alarm systems inside our homes. Um, and then ultimately, a couple of us were moved out of our homes into secure locations just for the final phase of the project um, to make sure that we were um, kept safe. I think one of the really um, tricky things when you're working on this sort of a story is that it's part of the modus operandi of the Russian intelligence services and also associated organized crime groups 
to kind of play mind games with people. So things like going into people's homes and moving items around or just doing things which are faintly menacing, like potentially having a car outside somebody's home. These are all quite classic tactics out of the FSB playbook, but then none of them are things that you can say for sure, oh, this is clearly a threat. It's kind of ambiguous, and so you're left wondering, are we going completely crackers here, or is there actually anything to worry about? And that question remains unresolved. We don't know whether these things were intended as threats or whether they were coincidences. Unperturbed, and with security measures in place, the team cracked on. And it was one case in the portfolio of the four team that would end up pushing them forwards, in a race against time to publish. On the wall of the BuzzFeed office, surrounded by a web of other faces and connecting lines, is a photo of Alexander Peripolichny. You might have heard of him before. Peripolichny was a wealthy financier, who had blown a whistle on a £140 million money laundering racket. He fled to the UK, and in 2012, on a wet November evening, he was found dead outside his Surrey home. Of what the police announced to the public was just a heart attack, but that whole story was blown up somewhat when independent tests later found traces of a deadly plant poison in his stomach. Despite the fact that the contents of Peripolichny's stomach were flushed away very shortly after his death, Further tests had found traces of a poison called Gelselium in his system. The toxin is often called heartbreak grass because it can trigger cardiac arrest if ingested. Now these details were seeping out to the public. A pre-inquest hearing at the Old Bailey was revealing all kinds of shocking things, like how Peripolichny had received threatening phone calls from an organised crime group and had taken out multiple life insurance policies before his death. But still, the police were maintaining that his death was not suspicious. Now, Peripolichny had spent a couple of days before his death in Paris on a mysterious assignation of some kind. Nobody knew where he'd been when he was in Paris or who he'd met or what he'd been up to. Um, And despite the discovery of the Gelsemium in his stomach, the police in Britain were continuing to insist there was nothing suspicious about his death whatsoever. A mysterious trip just days before a mysterious death. And yet the British police hadn't followed up with any inquiries about that trip. The police in Paris hearing about this and knowing that he'd been in Paris just before his death had opened a murder investigation to try to find out whether he'd been poisoned in Paris. Meanwhile, the British police were still putting their hands over their ears and saying that there was nothing suspicious about his death. Well, Heidi was not about to do the same. They were almost ready to publish their stories, but this one last detail was just too tantalising to pass over. So one day, in early summer, she found herself climbing aboard the Eurostar train and setting off to Paris. Mesdames et messieurs, bienvenue à Paris. Il est 19h45, heure locale. So I went over to Paris and talked to a number of French law enforcement sources and was able to obtain details of the, the French police file and of their investigation into Peripolichny's death. And from the French police file, I could see that he had spent his last couple of nights alive in Paris with a Russian-Ukrainian woman called Elmira Medinska. They had stayed at the Hotel Bristol, which is one of Paris's most exclusive hotels, and they had ordered the romance pack, which is possibly my favourite detail from any police file ever. 
Um, and, uh, and then he'd come back to the UK on the Eurostar and drop dead within a few hours of arriving back. Another name to add to their cast of characters. Who was Elmira Medinska? And could she shed any light on how Peripolichny could wind up dead on the tarmac outside his luxurious mansion with an extremely rare poison in his system? Extraordinary that she had not been contacted by police in, in France or the UK and is playing absolutely no part in the inquest into Parapolitany's death. So the inquest is hearing from all sorts of other witnesses about his final hours, but not the woman with whom he spent his last two days alive, who knows about his activities directly before his death. Clearly, this woman is a person of significance to any investigation into what might have happened to Parapolitany in the immediate lead up to his death. And yet, nobody had managed to track her down. The, the French police hadn't, they didn't know where she was, and the British police hadn't either. And so we set about trying to find her. Fortunately, Heidi had top sleuth Jane Bradley in her team. You might have heard in the tip-off's fourth ever episode about how Jane revealed the identities of two of the ISIS Beatles' terror cell and tracked down their families. If there was ever someone who could find a missing person, it was Jane. So from Paris, Heidi called Jane and set her on the trail. So I managed to lay my hands on this police file, um, kind of called back to the office and said, guys, I've got the name of the woman he spent the last couple of nights with. I'd had a look for her and with my vastly inferior social media and, and, and search skills to Jane's had failed to find any trace of her. Um, so I kind of said, look, it's a really long shot, but... Jane, if there's anything you can do here to try and figure out where this woman is, can you let me know? And I think it was, I don't know, an hour later, she called me and said, I found her. Um, and these are some addresses you might want to try out. She took Elmira Medinska's name and date of birth, which were the only details that we had from the police file. And she managed to track down some corporate filings linked to Medinska in Spain. And from those corporate filings, she tracked through various other public records and then found that there was a name change and she was actually using a slightly different name um, in other corporate records that she managed to find and from that she connected the records to an Instagram profile and was then able to establish that this definitely was the right Elmira Medinska albeit using a slightly different name because she scrolled through it and found that on the the birthday of the Elmira Medinska in the police file this woman had posted a happy birthday selfie to herself with a birthday cake. So we were fairly certain that this was the right person. Um, and that was a classic bit of Jane Bradley genius. So just a few hours after the initial call, Heidi got a message back. Jane had sent her a list of possible addresses. So she got exploring and tracked a trail of breadcrumbs from those addresses to another. An opulent apartment block in a leafy part of the city. Yeah, I was on her doorstep less than 24 hours after we got hold of her name. Standing outside the apartment, Heidi's finger hovered over the buzzer. I couldn't quite believe we'd found her when the police hadn't. I then had to go and knock on the door of this big French mansion block, and, and, and to my astonishment, she buzzed me in. I then had to climb this seven-storey spiral staircase to get all the way to the top where she was standing waiting for me. There... At the top of the stairs was the woman from the Instagram photos that Heidi had spent the day poring over. She's a very imposing figure. She's about six foot four um, and extremely tall and rangy with this kind of white blonde hair and um, very 
sharply pointed angular features and she's you know she's she's a, a model and is, is is sort of exquisitely beautiful but very um yeah very imposing taking a deep breath heidi followed as medinska ushered her into the opulent high ceiling department and sat me down and just came out with this extraordinary 45 minute account of her relationship with peripolichny um I was really not expecting her to want to talk to me about a man she'd spent a couple of nights with five years ago who had dropped dead the next morning. But to my astonishment, she she did. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a kind of mind-boggling experience. The details she was coming out with were extraordinary. She said that she had spent the night with Peripolichny, that she was not surprised to learn he'd died because he had given Russian information to the authorities and you can be killed for that. Um, that many people have died in London for doing similar things, and that the British government need to be careful if they keep allowing Russians into their country and accepting their money into their banks and properties. So it's kind of a completely extraordinary interview, and kind of also testament, I think, to never assuming that somebody will not want to talk to you because people talk in the most extraordinary of circumstances. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Medinska said she had never spoken to any law enforcement official about her encounter with Peripolichny. He had been in Paris for two days already when she joined him. Neither she nor the French police knew what he was doing in that time. But she recalled it was clear that something was wrong. I was feeling from him that he was very stressed, she told Heidi. He kept going outside to take mysterious phone calls that seemed to spook him, she recalled. And she noticed his hands were shaking and he was drinking lots of wine, which he spilled down his front. They said their goodbyes on the morning of the 10th. Peripolichny returned to London. He ate lunch, 
a Russian sorrel soup prepared by his wife, took his daughter shopping, and then went for a jog. Soon after, passers-by found him slumped and unresponsive in the grey drizzle of a November evening. An ambulance was called, but it was too late. Peripolichny was dead. Back in London, and digging around, and Heidi and the team were finding more and more startling truths. They heard how Prime Minister Theresa May directed the government's successful bid to withhold documents from Peripolichny's inquest on national security grounds. As Home Secretary, May's department had overseen the police force that concluded that the whistleblower's death was not suspicious. They also talked to Chris Phillips, the former head of Britain's National Counter-Terrorism Security Office. When they asked him about Peripolichny, his response was categorical. It's so obvious that it's an assassination, he said. There's no way it wasn't a hit. It's ridiculous. The US spies they were talking to agreed. They told BuzzFeed the US had passed MI6 high-grade intelligence, indicating that Peripolichny was likely assassinated on direct orders from Putin or people close to him. And they lambasted the British police for their botched investigation. It seemed the powers that be in the UK were actively turning a blind eye to numerous assassinations, desperate to avoid diplomatic tensions with Putin's Russia. After all, the decision to charge two Russian Secret Service hitmen with the radioactive poisoning of Alexander Litvinenko, a KGB defector, had led to a 10-year standoff with the Kremlin. The interview with Medinska was another remarkable twist in the incredible story Heidi's team were laying out but they almost didn't get it. This was later on in the investigation, so this was kind of summertime, I think possibly early June or maybe late May. Um, but yeah, it was, it was towards it was towards the end. Um, and we'd kind of, yeah, we were just sort of putting the finishing touches to things. And then I'd got this tip that I might be able to talk to these French law enforcement sources and gone out there on spec and really, really wasn't expecting this this last minute development. In fact, the plan had always been to publish the stories earlier. But then life got in the way. ...chaired a meeting of the Cabinet where we agreed that the government should call a general election to be held on the 8th of June. I want to explain the reasons... Yeah, actually, this, this all happened after we had intended to publish the story and to our total heartbreak, Theresa May had announced a general election and we realised that it was just not going to be possible to compete with the general election news and would be kind of crazy to try and run the story in the middle of all of that melee. And so we we'd held the story and that's always just a, such a frustrating moment when you've put everything into a story for two years and you've had that huge, like, back-breaking final push to get it all ready and it's ready to go and then you have to hold it. We were all so gutted. But we decided to take the opportunity just to kind of, you know, push a bit harder on a few last big leads and just see whether we could we could gain new ground. And it was off the back of that that I went out to Paris to talk to these law enforcement sources about the Peripolichny case. And that was when we had this massive breakthrough of getting the police file and then finding Elmira Medinska. Um, so it was a really unexpected breakthrough and massively elevated the story and is a reminder to me of something I, I do sometimes forget which is just that that last final final push can always 
be absolutely critical, you know, and sometimes when you really think there's no point in trying to turn another stone and you've got everything you could possibly get, there is actually one last little gem that you haven't yet uncovered. And so, yeah, so I'm actually incredibly glad that um, that we had to hold the story as heartbreaking as it felt at the time. But the team were also under immense pressure to publish. The election took place on the 8th of June. Peripolichny's inquest opened on the 5th. Heidi knew they had to get their story out soon. They had explosive evidence that deserved to be explored in any official investigation into his death. And we clearly couldn't sit on information that was germane to that inquest. That would have been wrong, especially when the thrust of our story was to accuse the British government of sitting on evidence that was germane to that inquest. Um, so we just had to publish the story. So we we went first with the Peripolichny story, um, we had established through Jason's incredible intelligence sourcing that there was a document that had been sent to Congress in the US by the intelligence community there, which assessed with high confidence that Peripolichny had been assassinated on the direct orders of Vladimir Putin. So it didn't get much punchier than that. Um, we knew that MI6 had that document. We knew that it had not been provided to the inquest. And we also now had brand new information about the two days before he died um, and a key witness that the police hadn't interviewed. And so the team scrambled, pulling all their months and years of work into shape. And on the 12th of June, one week into the inquiry, they published. That pretty quickly blew up the inquest and they had to suspend it. Um, and it remains suspended until now April. It keeps being put back while the coroner seeks new evidence from the government off the back of our findings. Over the coming days and weeks, the team would publish another five massive stories, detailing different cases they'd been following. At the heart of it all was the very first death that had piqued Tide's attention, Scott Young. And there had been a late breakthrough on that story too. It wasn't until Heidi had been talking to Young's estranged wife, Michelle, for more than 18 months that a shocking new piece of information came to light. I think possibly one of the most jaw-dropping discoveries in our cache of documents um, emerged from a conversation I had with Michelle quite late on in the project in which she casually mentioned that in I think it was 2012 she had been contacted by uh, prosecutors in Moscow and that they had informed her that they were investigating Scott Young and his connections to Boris Berezovsky and had flown her to Moscow to a meeting at which she had she had been interviewed by several Russian government officials and that members of the FSB had been present at that meeting. And she told me all of this and I kind of couldn't quite believe that something, that brazen had actually happened. And also that by this point, we'd been talking for about 18 months. So I was somewhat surprised that she hadn't mentioned that already. Um, but it just hadn't really occurred to her. Another lesson in keep on pushing your sources for more detail because they probably haven't told you everything that you want to know, but completely jaw-dropping and really showed us, you know, Scott Young's fears that he was in the crosshairs of the Russian government and that he might be being watched by Russian intelligence agencies were not ill-founded. He was on the radar of the FSB just before he died. After a huge last-minute sprint to the finish line, the team could stop and step back. They were exhausted. It was an overwhelming relief to publish these stories after two years. It just, we'd all put so much into them and they just, 
they've been you know been incredibly demanding projects it's been a really thrilling project but there's only so much heart-stopping adrenaline that one person can take let alone six people and we were all just you know so ready to publish that story um by this point a couple of us were living out of our homes we were you know away from home in this these secure locations we've been put in um and so we just really felt that once the story was out there we'd be okay just to go home and that to be honest was a massive relief but also it was just thrilling to finally get this secret out into the world you know this this secret that the British government has suppressed for more than 15 years and to be able finally to blow the top off that um, and, and get the story out there was just a yeah it was an amazing thrill and um, and I think that really overrode any nerves we had by that point we just were delighted to see it go live. With such explosive revelations the political world couldn't help but sit up and take notice. Recently, the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee published a, a report which outlined many of the findings of our stories and really heavily drew on our reporting um, and called on governments in the West to to stand up to the threat of assassinations. We understand that the Intelligence and Security Committee has also launched an inquiry into Russian interference in the UK and is examining the evidence that we published. And of course, the inquest into Peripolichny's death remains suspended while the coroner demands more evidence off the back of what we found. So, we're, yeah, we're pleased to see that there has been some impact, but we want to see more. I mean, really, these 14 cases in the UK and one in the US need to be properly investigated because there are 14 families out there and these are these people don't have answers about why their loved ones died. At last, the truth was out. But it wasn't just political figures that had gotten wind of the investigation. The story had garnered attention from other corners too. Really excitingly, um, after we published, we were um, approached by like tons of, of film producers really interested in, in the movie rights to the film. And we have now got a deal with Smokehouse Productions, which um, is, is George Clooney's company. So like I can die happy now. <laughs> um, or at least if he, uh, I mean, if, if they go ahead and make the film, that would be really fantastic. They're in talks with various screenwriters at the moment putting together a treatment but that would be that would be incredibly exciting if, if that happens um and we also are working with rise productions on a on a documentary series um in the uk and have um also a, a book deal so I'm developing the series into a, a book um so it's it, it's great that there's that level of interest and it means that we can keep up the pressure um and keep breaking news on all of this um and it's it's just really fantastic at the moment the amount of interest there is in investigative journalism of which you know this podcast is one wonderful example but it's so great that you know that people are interested in watching movies about investigative journalism and reading books about it right now um i think in this ultra depressing era of fake news and a time where the media is just under assault from all angles there's this like this wonderful appetite for deeply reported properly investigative content and that's yeah that's really really thrilling so at the end of it all just one important question remains who will play each of the team in the film <laughs> i don't think i'm going to be in the film thankfully i think the film is going to be about the uh the the people that we uh, reported on and not about us um although i won't pretend that we haven't obviously had the conversation of who's going to play everyone but that information is classified that's all for this two-parter of the tip-off. 
Thanks to Heidi Blake and the BuzzFeed team for all their help. There's links to their amazing stories in the show notes. The tip-off is hosted and produced by me, Maeve McClanagan. Our theme music is by Dice Muse, and other music in this episode by John Ripper and Blue Dot Sessions. Next time, in the last of this series. This email started with two words. I hope I'm allowed to cuss, because the two words were, oh, shit. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Ken Armstrong was deep into a complex investigation into a serial rapist when he heard the news. Another journalist was onto the same story. What comes next? Find out next time on The Tip-Off. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 